Would you like to know more about how pharma manufacturing works? Every month, we bring you an insider conversation with our experts here at Lonza, with our partners and leaders in the industry. Hi, my name is Martina Hestericová, and this is A View On, a podcast brought to you by Lonza. Age-related macular degeneration, or AMD for short, is the leading cause of vision loss in people over 60. By 2040, the number of people suffering from AMD is expected to reach 288 million globally. This progressive degenerative eye disease does not have a cure, but can be treated by various means. You may need regular eye injections to stop your vision from getting worse. The need for regular injections into the eye is problematic from both the time and patient compliance perspective. This is exactly where Kodiak Sciences comes into play. This biopharmaceutical company specializes in developing novel ophthalmic therapies based on antibody biopolymer conjugates, and we'll explain that a bit later. These target high prevalence diseases in the retina, including AMD. Instead of putting pressure on patients and their doctors to manage the tight treatment schedule necessary for managing AMD, Kodiak's treatments are designed to have an extremely long half-life and efficiency. This means that they significantly extend the dosing schedule and improve the quality of life of their patients. To talk about the recent developments in AMD treatment research, we are joined today by Victor Pearl Roth, the co-founder and CEO of Kodiak Sciences. Hi, Victor. Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? Good, thanks. So, Victor, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your company? Sure. Well, it's a, first of all, thanks. It's a pleasure. I'm the co-founder and the CEO of Kodiak. We're a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company, and we're bringing new science to the design and development of next-generation retinal medicines. And our, our primary goal is to prevent and treat the major causes of blindness globally. So, you know, thinking about myself, uh, I'm really more of a skilled generalist, and I spend most of my time with one foot on the R&D side of the company and, you know, the other foot on the corporate or the business side. So people used to tell me, well, that's a, a very dangerous place to be, always right there ready to be stepped on by somebody, uh, like standing under an elephant. But actually, uh, it, it's a nice place to be. Uh, innovation happens at the intersection of disciplines. It's amazing to see someone equally passionate about the business and the research part. How important is science to you and to your company? So science uh, is, is really a mystery, sort of what I call the modern Sherlock Holmes. So we have to listen to the science. We have to remain agile. But, you know, in a business context, we have to be very practical and very real world. So we have to get things done. And we have to get it done through people and through facilities. So you can't have constant change, which would feel like chaos. So functioning, you know, at this boundary, you know, at the intersection, that, that, that's what I like to do. And that, that allows us to take the temperature, you know, all the time and to make the appropriate decisions um, in, in our important and also very expensive business. I want to ask about your personal motivation as well here. 
Why did you decide to be active in ophthalmology? There aren't that many companies working in ophthalmology and certainly not that many working in retina. Mm -hmm. It's a highly technical, difficult area. And at the same time, the retina is like a little piece of genius. It's a miracle. Such a small little piece of tissue that if you really look at it, it's just like a little ball of snot that's sort of scraped up against the back of the eye. And our ability to experience the world and the vision through such a small little miraculous piece of biology is tremendously you know, interesting. And the technical challenges are um, challenging, uh, but also a lot of fun. So I just found it really intellectually interesting. And it turns out that if you really focus on it um, in a thoughtful manner, I think you can make tremendous progress and hopefully have a huge impact, right? To prevent and treat the leading causes of blindness in the developed world, which is really our mission. So sort of like a combination of a life mission that translates into like a, you know, a corporate mission as well. Yeah, that certainly is inspiring. It's an inspiring time, you know, in ophthalmology um, where we work. It's been about 15 years since the approval of the first really important anti-VEGF medicine to treat some of these diseases in the retina. And these medicines um, have been tremendously effective and very safe for patients. So now with the world going through these continuous changes and all the experience we have with, with COVID and the different disruptions, you know, the overall community is calling for new and innovative medicines that can preserve efficacy or elevate that with the same safety and that are also purposefully built uh, for, for more durability. And that's really our focus here at Kodiak. Okay, and let's focus on the research and development side. Is Kodiak focused only on the retina or do you explore other areas within the eye too? At this time, the main focus of the company or really our entire focus is retina. It's a deep area. It's very complex. There are, you know, difficult diseases. There are a set of diseases that are currently targeted well um, through existing medicines and medicines development. And then there are still very large, highly prevalent diseases of the retina that are untreated today. So there's a lot of future room to explore. And so our focus continues to be in the hardest area, I would say, of ophthalmology drug development, which is retinal medicines development. So at the beginning of the episode, we mentioned that AMD is one of the main causes of vision loss in people over 60. What is the underlying cause here? You know, macular degeneration, um, it's, it's quite common uh, and um, it, it affects the retina, which what we said is the, the sort of the light sensitive tissue in the back of the eye. There are really two types of AMD. You know, one is the first is dry AMD and the other is wet. So um, dry has no fluid and wet has a lot of fluid. <laughs> That's a simple distinction. Mm-hmm. But dry AMD is characterized by uh, the deterioration of the macula, okay, um, which is an important part of the retina and um, sort of deposits, um, they deposit kind of on the retina and they cause this special area of the eye of the retina, the macula to deteriorate over time. Dry MD patients um, can experience some vision loss and then frequently they experience uh, substantial like functional limitations in their vision. Right, and what about wet AMD? Is this different from dry? Is there, I guess from the name, any leakage of fluids involved? Wet AMD, uh, where you know our lead molecule, we hope it to be an important new medicine, uh, is an advanced form of AMD. And so while it represents only 10% of the number of cases of AMD overall, uh, it's 
responsible for 90% of the AMD-related severe vision loss, wet AMD. So that occurs when the, the blood vessels um, underlying the retina um, grow you know, underneath this macula, that area of fine vision on the retina, and it, it leads to leakage of fluid in the blood, which um, leads to visual distortions and acute vision loss in the patients. And then if untreated or if undertreated, when AMD leads to scarring and permanent damage that basically results in blindness. You mentioned earlier that the first anti-VEGF treatment for diseases of the retina was approved um, more than a decade ago, right? But could you explain to us what exactly is VEGF? Yeah, so um, overexpression of this uh, VEGF or vascular endothelial growth factor um, in ocular tissues is, is, a, is a central pathway um, for AMD uh, or wet AMD anyway. And um, uh, so it's a protein that's produced by the cells you know, in that area. Um, it stimulates the formation of new blood vessels, a process called neovascularization. And then uh, that induces what's called vascular permeability, which really means just leakiness of the blood vessels kind of underlying the retina. So in wet AMD, this leakiness causes fluid to exit from the blood vessels in that area, causing swelling or edema, you know, of the retina and loss of vision. And that's why it's called wet AMD. Mm -hmm. I wonder about the administration of your products. So they are injected directly into the eye, right? Yeah. So administration of our drugs is via injection into the eye, um, also known as intraocular injection or more precisely intravitreal injection, which is injecting the medicine into the jelly of the eye, you know, the vitreous, um, which is between sort of the lens in the front and then the retina in the back. So our approach using syringes and very small needles is similar to that of other biologic medicines for the retina. And so it fits, you know, perfectly into the established care path for these patients. Ah, and are the patients awake during the procedure? Uh, yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, it, it doesn't hurt, actually. They, they kind of numb the area and they, they prep the eye. So actually the injection itself doesn't, doesn't hurt. I would say it's not awesome for the patient, but I think it's fairly quick. And um, they, they now do millions of these injections every year. Um, so, um, or tens of millions actually. So, and they do them, you know, very safely. And they're, they're really miracle therapies, I, I would say for patients. Oh, thanks for explaining that. Now let's shift gears. So your products combine antibodies with large biopolymers. What kind of platform is this? We call it our ABC platform, and we, we developed uh, this. It's our antibody biopolymer conjugate platform. And we, we, we developed it really to, um, to focus on innovative new, you know, new medicines for the retina. So it combines chemistry and protein engineering. And we uh, created the medicines you know, for durability you know, and safety and efficacy specifically for the eye. Mm -hmm. And your lead candidate, KSI 301, is developed on this platform. What's exciting about it? So we did show year one data, you know, from patients with KSI 301, where uh, in a phase one B study, you know, in 130 patients, um, which is a good number, um, but not as many as the pivotal studies that we're running with many thousands of patients now. But in, in the phase one B at the one year point, two thirds of the patients with these important diseases of the retina um, we're able to achieve treatment-free intervals of six months or longer with strong efficacy and you know, really amazing safety. 
Wow, that's impressive. I mean, going from several injections per month to just two in a year. Yeah, so it's really a remarkable set of data um, and you know, a fundamental challenge for physicians and for patients uh, is how long therapies last after they're injected into the eye. Because as we talked about it, it's not that you know, wonderful of a procedure to get the injection, um, but, but it happens quickly. Uh, there's an epidemic, they say, of preventable blindness that's out there. So they say, you know, speaking to the physicians, hey, you know, bring your patients in every four weeks, every six weeks, every eight weeks for an injection. You know, that's really not, not achievable for, for people in the real world. Maybe they can do that for a few months, but certainly not for the years that are needed. Because as doses get missed or, you know, as the dosing interval gets extended, um, you know, as life gets in the way, the drug holidays lead to disease reactivation and then you get permanent retinal damage. Yeah, so I guess more pressure on patients won't really work, right? You know, no amount of pushing or shaming physicians or patients can resolve the problem. It's a problem that we felt needed to be resolved through technology and through retinal medicines research, you know, and development. And so that's kind of where our thoughts around um, the ABC platform, where that sort of emerged from. Yeah, that's a fantastic message. Um, but how does it actually work? Well, when you look at KSI 301, our lead molecule, which is built on our ABC platform, um, it's a bioconjugate, okay? So comprised of two new pieces. The first piece uh, is a recombinant, full-length, humanized anti-VEGF antibody, okay? An anti-VEGF antibody that has novel sequence and is an important new bioactive in its own right. And the second component is a branched, optically clear phosphorylcholine biopolymer that uh, has a has a that's large in size and has a you know, high molecular weight. Mm -hmm. So the antibody is conjugated or attached to the biopolymer through a stable site-specific chemical linkage that forms the antibody biopolymer conjugate. What about the biophysics of your designs? Um, what is the purpose of the, of the large biopolymer? And I also wonder what happens to it in the human body once it's no longer needed. We created the biopolymer out of phosphorylcholine as I mentioned. Now, that's not an accident. We chose phosphorylcholine because it's the natural component of the cell membrane of all the cells in our body, and it has really remarkable properties. It attracts and binds water in a very strong and in a very permanent way. Mm -hmm. That's what phosphorylcholine does in the body, and it creates what we call structured water, okay? And each arm of the biopolymer contains many hundreds of phosphorylcholine molecules, and the polymer itself has nine arms. That's its structure. And so the biopolymer creates a large watery or hydrophilic shell that results in a tremendous amount of water being directed to the bioconjugate. Okay, that's what we like to call macromolecular water. And the water is organized and it's structured in a specific way so that it provides kind of like a, a, um, a radial coverage, okay, of the bioconjugate, like a cloak, okay? Mm. And this cloak protects and stabilizes sort of and imbues our medicine with, you know, really special properties. Okay, we think of it a little bit like a water force field. <laughs> I'm picturing this water cloak right now. It's really a fascinating concept. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And then, you know, once it gets to where it needs to go, um, the, the, the water structure has, um, you know, important effects on the potency of the antibody, you know, by helping the, you know, to drive these biomolecules to interact in, in a very specific way. Um, it's sort of like the, um, 
the space shuttle docking on the space station, right? At the very end, it has to basically, you know, have a very specific kind of um, direction or docking, you know, to get all the parts like in the right orientation. And the water structure uh, helps um, the amino acids of the antibody in the conjugate to basically bind to its target. And what happens to the drug in the body after it's done its job? So after the uh, conjugate is injected in the eye, after it does its work in the eye, and after they exit the eye intact, um, they, uh, they're not recycled. And so they rapidly exit the systemic circulation and they exit the body primarily intact through the kidney. So we, we achieved something very special with the design of our platform, which is a long ocular resonance time and a relatively quick exit from the systemic circulation. Can we have a look at the manufacturing process as well? Is this in any way similar to the well-known ADCs, so antibody drug conjugates? Right. Well, ADCs or antibody drug conjugates, uh, they may sound like our ABC platform, but they're, they're quite different. And so each KSI 301 molecule you know, is a combination of one antibody molecule and one biopolymer molecule that are permanently attached to each other at a site-specific location. And then the biopolymer improves the properties right, of the antibody, resulting in you know, the bioconjugate medicine being, as we say, more than the, the sum of its parts. It's a, you know, a robust chemistry uh, for our conjugation and then a robust purification process specific for ophthalmology. You know, we do that manufacturing work uh, with Lanza, obviously, who, who was a pioneer in the commercialization or the commercial manufacturing anyway of the ADCs. So we have a number of agreements in place with Lanza, you know, notably our, you know, our, what we're building, our custom IBEX bioconjugation facility in VISP, um, where we're you know, building the capacity for our drug substance to supply millions of, of doses of our ABC medicines, you know, per year. And how many steps are then needed to get from the drug substance stage to the drug product when it's already ready to be injected into the patient's eye? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, the drug substance um, is um, already formulated at this point. And so the drug product stage uh, doesn't have any uh, modifications in terms of formulation, rather it's the, the, you know, additional filtration work and then basically separation of the bulk drug substance, you know, into vials or, or syringes. So it's work that has to be done very carefully, but uh, the heavy lifting um, in terms of manufacturing that the drug substance is, is finished when the, when the drug leaves Lanza. Mm -hmm. And where are you in terms of gaining approvals for your therapies? Are we still talking preclinical or clinical supply? Well, I'm, I'm glad to say that we, well, we always continue to, you know, explore preclinical work. Um, that, that's never really finished. But I'm, I'm glad to say that we, uh, you know, in 2018, we dosed our first patients. Um, and um, so now we're running six pivotal or registrational studies with KSI 301. And the first five studies uh, for wet AMD, DME, and RVO will be packaged as a single BLA filing. And then the, the, the non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, the NPDR, the GLOW study, that sort of preventive study, uh, our, our idea is to put that into a, a supplemental PLA filing, um, which would happen you know, after, the, after the primary. So we're, we're well on our way uh, across our, our six registrational studies um, from the clinical standpoint, the clinical development standpoint. And then we're also working hard on the manufacturing side as well. So you have to really bring... Uh, the manufacturing element and the clinical element, and then also, of course, the, the toxicology element together. Oh, fingers crossed. It all sounds fantastic.
Yeah, it's a lot of hard work and we're excited. You know, the company was founded back in 2009. And so we've been very focused um, and uh, we, we think we're in a, in a good spot uh, for the lead program. And we have several pipeline programs as well that, that, we're, that we're building. And we, we find Retina to be a, a very uh, exciting and very promising area where we hope to have a big impact. And what are you planning for the future? Do you have any exciting new projects to share with us? We are developing, um, as part of our ABC platform, a, a new set of medicines that are designed also for retina called our triplet therapies. And the triplet therapies combine both small molecules and antibody-like large molecules. And so in that case, the idea is to have the biologic portion function um, outside of the cell and then to have the small molecule portions of these triplet medicines function inside the cell. And so that'll let us bring different therapeutic, you know, small molecule and biologics inside of this water cloak, right? And then to be able to function inside the cell and outside of the cell. So that's also work that we're, we're doing um, and we'll be manufacturing, you know, together with our collaborations with Lonza as well. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. So thanks, Victor, for joining us today and for sharing all of these amazing insights. I think from now on, whenever I think about eyes, and Kodiak, I'll be thinking about the invisible water cloak. Thanks to you and your company. <laughs> Thanks so much, Martina. That's exactly right. Now, for those of you interested in biology, I have a little bonus for you. The role of phosphorylcholine is truly amazing. Not only is it used to create Kodiak's cutting-edge AMD treatments, but it also gives structure to water in our bodies. So, Victor, you mentioned that the phosphorylcholine is present in our bodies. Does this mean that it binds water anywhere in the human body the same way as in your bioconjugates? Yeah, that's right. So the phosphorylcholine forms um, is on the surface of our cells, every cell. Okay, so when we learn in, in biology that the cell membrane is what's called the phospholipid bilayer, okay, the phospho part is phosphorylcholine largely. Okay, so on the outside of all of our cells, I think around 95% of the phospho is phosphorylcholine. So in our body, you know, I used to think, well, you know, we're, we're whatever it is, 75% water. And I, I used to think, well, that water is sort of slushing around, you know, in the body, you know, like a, like a, a water balloon. But that's actually not, not true. The water in our body is largely structured and much of it through, through phosphorylcholine. And that helps to really drive the local interactions of how molecules interact with one another. In, in a structured way. And so we're bringing these principles into the design of our conjugate. And that really helps to govern how our medicine travels through the eye to get to where it needs to go. And once it's there, how it interacts with its target or, or its receptor. So it you know, prevents the nonspecific interactions um, because proteins are inherently sticky. So they, they like to interact with each other through charges and through sort of hydrophobic forces, okay? Or in nonspecific ways. So since the bioconjugate is protected by this sort of water cloaking or this macromolecular water, the nonspecific interactions are reduced. And, you know, phosphorylcholine polymers also, it's well known there, they sort of have like an anti-friction kind of set of properties. It's like, a you can think of it like um, a bobsled sliding on an icy surface. So the, the low friction or what we call high lubricity of the bioconjugate allows it to sort of noodle its way once you inject it into the jelly of the eye, it allows it to sort of noodle its way through the tissues you know, mm -hmm. to get down into, deep into the retina where it has to do its job. So that's sort of called the bioavailability of the medicine. So our medicines, even though they're very large, they have very high bioavailability to the retina. 
Thank you. That's all for today from A View On. We will be back next month with more exciting science and technology stories. Bye for now.